we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 10 today, and uh, I wanted to take some time in this passage to go through it. And uh, so, um, as I've spoken over the last few times that we've been together, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 are Paul's the book of Romans is just a phenomenal book. I mean, it is such a heady book. It is such an intellectual book. It is such an academic book. It is such a spiritual book. It is probably the, 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 the book that encapsulates pretty much everything you need to know about the gospel, about God's plan for salvation. I mean, if, if you had one book and you only could be, can have one book of the Bible, out of all 66 books, and you were only asked, you, you were only able to have one. Maybe you were, you know, in a foreign land and you were imprisoned or something like that. And they said, well, here, we're going to give you one book of the Bible. What do you want? Pick up Romans. Romans would be a great book to pick up because, and memorize. It would be an awesome thing. Because the book of Romans is such a life-transforming book. Um, Pastor Chuck um, many, many years ago, those of you who know who Pastor Chuck Smith is, uh, he kind of started all the Calvary chapels many, many, many years ago. He passed away a couple years ago. But um, when he was just starting out, um, he uh, got into, you know, he was reading and he was teaching through the Bible methodically and he had a teaching schedule and what have you. And, and uh, he read in a book uh, that, it, it, you know, teach the book of Romans, it'll transform your church. And uh, he says, I did. We taught the, the book of Romans and it transformed my church, but more importantly, it transformed me. It was something that is such a, a, a book that you have to understand. This is a book that, that uh, not that you have to understand it to get to heaven, but you have to understand the information that is articulated in this passage or in this book that Paul wrote uh, in a letter to the Roman Christians um, from where he was uh, at the time. And so here's the thing. Um, this is a passage that is, or this, you know, when you start looking at Romans chapters 9 through 11, uh, it, it kind of takes a different kind of a feel. From verses chapters 1 through 8, Paul is talking about, you know, salvation. He's talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, those who uh, are not going to be going to heaven because of the sin that's in their life and, and how all of us have fallen short and fallen, you know, fallen short of the glory of God and that all of us are, are, have earned ourselves a trip to hell, basically. And he's painted out a, a picture for really the church as a whole. But then he takes this, and, and then from you know, from there and then into chapter 12, when you look into chapter 12 through 16, it just, he kind of takes that same theme as he goes back on and he talks about, you know, the, the life of a Christian. But when he looks at, when you look at Romans chapters 9 through 11, there's just like this parenthetical passage here that Paul takes out and he says, now listen, I want you to understand how I am, uh, how I, what I want you to understand is how it is that I, I have articulated the gospel to the Jews. The gospel to the Jews. You have to understand and you have to remember that, that Paul was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was a, 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 a Jew that was born in Tarsus. He had grown up and, and had been educated in his young years all the way up through uh, his years as becoming a, a, a Pharisee. Paul became a Pharisee. 
He was a religious Jew. He was a very uh, powerful Jew, uh, uh, Pharisee. He was a very powerful Pharisee. Now, now, I want to say this. When I use the word Jew, it is not a derogatory manner. I'm not using the word Jew in a derogatory manner. I, I would never do that. I love the Jews. I love Israel. Been there a couple of times. Love Israel. Love the Jewish people. And so when I talk about the Jew, don't think it as a, in a derogatory manner because that's, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, and, and so here's the thing. I, I just needed to lay that out there so that you understand. When I use the term Jew, you know, we are in this hypersensitive society right now that if you say the wrong thing, everybody shuts off because you've offended somebody. And I guarantee I'll offend somebody here today. I, I guarantee it because we're just living in that society. Um, you just say anything. Hey, I like strawberries. Oh, that offends me. You eat vegetables. They have feelings. You know, I don't know. You know somebody's going to be offended. Now, somebody's going to be offended. Okay. Fruit. See, I offended my son. <laughs> I planned that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm a liar. Sorry. I just offended you now because I'm a liar. See, look at all those things. No, I'm just joking. Here, here's the thing. When we use the term Jew, it's, it's because the Bible uses the term Jew. And what, why I'm talking about the Jews today is because Paul's talking about the Jews today. This message isn't, you know, your better life now. Uh, how, you know, five steps to becoming happy. This isn't a, a message of how to improve your marriage. Uh, those things are all neat and fine and dandy, but sometimes they become very fluffy in the church. Oftentimes we stay out of meteor passages because people just don't want to know. People don't want to know the meatier things. And, and that's what we're into right now. Chapters 9 through 11 are meaty. But understand this, what you're hearing, hopefully, you will, you will gravitate to and you'll latch onto and you'll sink it into your, into your it, it is my father used to say, sink it deep into your gizzard, you know? Let it get in there and let it, let it, saturate you and and so that you understand this is god's word we're talking about god's word isn't always just fluffy god's word isn't fluffy and and ooh happy 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 and everybody is happy 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 joy 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 as we walk out sometimes we walk out and we go well it's pretty heavy stuff but i'd rather you be educated i'd rather you understand scripture i'd rather you understand the plan of god than for you to just understand the plan of you because I'm going to let you in on a little secret here real quick, okay? Now, here's the part where I'm going to offend you. Life is not about you. It's just not about you. See? <laughs> it's not about you. Oh, but my feelings are hurt. Okay. Sorry. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't sit here and go, well, I hope I don't offend anybody by what I say. No, no. I don't know why I'm going so, so much on offensive because that's not really what this passage is going to hammer down on, but it will to the Jews. Because Paul is pulling out all stops. He's pulling out all stops as he addresses his Jewish brothers. Um, 
Have any of you ever, and I don't need a show of hands, but I, I just pose this out as just a hypothetical question. Have, have, have any of you, you know, ever witnessed to a Jewish person? Uh, and let me ask you something even deeper. Have you ever witnessed to a, a, a Jewish rabbi, a religious Jew? A very, very, very religious Jew. Um, here we are, if you're a Gentile like myself, and I know that we don't have all Gentiles in here. I know that there's some Jewish people that, that come here to church also. Um, if you're a Gentile like myself, you know, it seems to be a pretty daunting task. Uh, and some might even find it a futile task. You know, that's crazy. Why would you ever want to talk to a Jew? I mean, they're really steeped into Judaism. We're steeped into Christianity. And, and almost a, a Christian, if you really get into it and you start thinking about it and you start looking at it, a lot of Christians are intimidated by talking to Jews because they go, well, you know what? Actually, Judaism was first. Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism. And so here's the thing. What right do I have to go back to the Jew and talk to them about, I mean, they were the foundation. Here I am going to try to talk to a Jew about Christ and, and try to talk to you know, the Jew about the Old Testament and what the Old Testament said about Christ. And I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that sounds offensive to me. That sounds like, you know, what, what right do I have? What kind of authority do I have? What, what kind of mind would I have to actually go up against somebody like that? And so I'd just rather not do it, a lot of Christians would say. But what's cool about Romans chapters 9 through 11 is here we're given a glimpse of a Jewish expert witnessing to Jewish experts. A religious Jewish expert, Paul, witnessing to religious Jewish experts, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes, priests, and the like. You remember, everywhere that Paul would go, Paul would go from one city to the other. He went on four different missionary journeys. And as he would go from one place to another, what would he do when he'd get into a town? First thing he'd find out is, where is the synagogue? And a synagogue, if you didn't know, a synagogue actually could be formed in a city, regardless of if it was a Gentile territory or a Jewish territory. If it was a Gentile territory, it didn't matter. Um, if there were 10 Jews there in the city that wanted to have a synagogue, 10 could actually create a synagogue where there could be a synagogue and there could be religious services held uh, on the Sabbath and, and throughout the week and so on and so forth. And that would be the place that people, wayfarers that would come through town, you know, uh, uh, you know, travelers that would go through town and what have you as they're Jews, they would come into a town and they'd go, hey, where's the synagogue? And they'd go to the synagogue and they'd sit there and they would read and they would discuss. Now, what Paul would do is he would go into these synagogues and here he didn't have the New Testament. <laughs> he was writing it. He was living it. Right? He doesn't have the New Testament. Did you know that? I, I, that might have come a shock to some of you, become, come to a, as a shock to some of you. But, and I know it did to me when I first heard that. Paul didn't have the New Testament to go back on and look at and go, well, here, here's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. I say, <laughs> no, he didn't do that. You know, he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. And so all Paul could do when he'd go into a certain city, he would go in and he'd find the synagogue and he'd get into the synagogue and he'd wait his turn and then he'd go and he'd open up the scripture and then back in that day, what would happen is the synagogues would be, you'd get up and it was, it was, it was proper. 
it was proper. It was, it was uh, I won't say necessarily always polite, but it, was, it produced an environment where a Jew could come in who was a religious Jew, he could come in, and Paul was a religious Jew, he could come in, and he could go, I would like my turn to read, and he would read, and then he would stand up there, and he would share maybe some commentary on that, but he would also be open to just be bulleted with questions. And, and so there would be discussions that would be coming on, and Paul would have these discussions in these synagogues. And he reasoned with them. The Bible says he reasoned with them in the Scriptures. And so Paul would go to each one of these towns that he would go to to reason in the scriptures with the Jews. Now Paul had been sent to the Gentiles and yet Paul had such a heart for the Jews because he was one. And he knew what they had to do to become as religious as he was. And even many of them that he was debating with and dialoguing with had never even achieved to the place that Paul had. Paul actually it kind of brags on himself. He goes, as Pharisee, I exceeded them all. I was actually taught and mentored under Gamaliel. And if you know anything about Gamaliel, which probably not a lot of you do, but here's the thing. Gamaliel is even to this very day to the Jews is considered the last true Pharisee. That's who Paul was mentored by. He had the greatest education. He had, he had ascended in such ranks in the religious Jewish system that the day that Stephen was stoned to death, everybody looked to him to get approval from Saul. His name was Saul, not Paul at the time. Saul on whether or not it was okay to cast the first stone in there. And Saul stands there watching Stephen and hearing Stephen say the things that he's saying. He's giving a little Bible lesson, Stephen is. He's kind of been aggressively apprehended by the Jews and he's, he's sitting there and he goes, listen, I want to tell you a story. And he begins to tell them all of Scripture, all the way up from you know Abraham and starts moving it all the way up into Moses and what have you and he's going up and then he sees that they're getting and they're listening to him up to that point but then they start to get a little restless going who does this guy think he is we're much more educated than he is we're smarter than he is why is he giving us this elementary lesson on Moses and Abraham we know that we don't need to hear this and so as all these religious guys are standing around listening to Stephen give them an uneducated man, Christian, he looks at them and he goes, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Now mind you, these are the same kind of guys that put Jesus to death. So Stephen, when he said that, said, I want to be stoned today and I want to go to heaven. That's what he said. He didn't say that, but he knew by opening his mouth in that manner, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. This only I want to know from you. Which of the prophets that God sent to you did you not kill? Which of the ones that God sent to you did you not stone or disobey or just completely ignore? God sent you all these guys and you ignored them. You have a better way. 
And they all looked at Saul and they said, is it okay now? Can we do this? They gnashed at him with their teeth. They looked at Saul and Saul gave the old nod and they took off their coats. They laid them at the feet of Saul, the religious, the, the highest ranking religious man in that place. And they laid it, their clothes, their, their uh, uh, cloaks, their coats at the feet of Saul. And then they went about tossing and not tossing, chucking rocks at Stephen until he was dead. Just a little quick background of who Saul is, of who Paul is. Paul understands when he goes into these synagogues what these other Jews have gone through to get to this place. He knows what they've learned. He's, he knows that from a very, very young age, they have been taught the scriptures. Not only have they been taught the scriptures, but they've been memorizing the scriptures. The Old Testament. How many of you got Genesis memorized? Real quick, anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. Here's the thing. I don't either. So I don't even know why my hand raised up, you know. Here's the thing. He understands where they're coming from. He understands what they've learned. And, and, and Paul, he understands what they're going through. He understands what they, what they believe. He understands what they, what they see. They, he understands the offense that Christ is. That's how we ended last week, right? In, in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, you know, Paul says, listen, here's the reason why you Jews stumbled. Here's why you didn't seek God by faith, as it were, by the works of the law, that you stumbled at the stumbling stone, you guys. As it is written, verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a, a, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus talks about himself being the chief cornerstone. Same, same stone. Same stone. I am the chief cornerstone. He who falls on me will be broken. But he whom that stone falls on will be crushed to powder. There's a difference there. And there's a warning there for all of us even to this day, you're either going to fall on Christ and be broken and say, Lord, I am a broken man. I am a broken woman if you're a woman. I'm a broken child if you're a child. I'm broken before you, God. I cannot get to heaven apart from you. I am pleading for you to show your grace and your mercy and you give me eternal life. Forgive me of my sin. I am a broken, I have a broken and a contrite heart. That is what God will never turn away, right? A broken and a contrite heart. He will never turn away. But if you sit there with a stiff neck and an uncircumcised heart where your heart hasn't been broken and you sit there and you, you, you find your righteousness in your, the way you live your life because I live more righteously than anybody else. Everybody else are just punks out there because they don't do what I do. And, and, and you find this righteousness in yourself or you have this perceived righteousness. We're going to get into that in just a second. You have this whatever perceived righteousness that you have and you're going to live on that and you're not going to live on what according to the Word of God says your righteousness is. By the way, the Bible says your righteousness is like filthy rags before God. 
And if you understand what filthy rags are, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's even hard to say. The filthy rag is basically a... a back in that day, they didn't have you know, women's uh, uh, pads. How do you talk about that from here, you know? Yeah, I'm glad it's me. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's what God says. That's what God says your righteousness is. Now, I don't know how many of you guys would ever handle something like that. I hope you wouldn't. But that's disgusting, isn't it? Well, that's what God looks at your righteousness as being. Your righteousness is not that good. It's actually disgusting. You can't live good enough to please God. I don't care if you're a Gentile. I don't care if you're a Jew. You cannot live good enough to please God. In fact, your righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. Now, you know what? That's going to stick in your brain for the rest of your life. I'm sorry that I had to give that, des- you know, that description out there, but you know what? You're never going to forget it, is it? Are you? It, it, it's, it's, it's there so you, don't, you can't find your own righteousness. This is what the Jews were doing. They thought that they found righteousness. They thought that they had figured it all out. They had taken the law, and we're going to read, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm setting some foundation here, and then we're going to read through this chapter. But here's the thing, I, I want you to see, and, and this is the foundation I'm setting. To the Jew and Paul, this is what Paul grew up with. When we look back at the Old Testament, what do we see? We see the first five books of the Bible. What are the first five books of the Bible called? Anyone? Good, Torah, thank you. I'm just seeing if you're interacting with me here. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. Here's a little bit more tougher question. How many commandments are in the first five books of the Bible? Huh? Six hundred and a half? Close, 613. Ten commandments, another 603. Other commandments that are in there. So there's 613 laws that are found there in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. The law of which the Jew were to, was to abide by. Now, back in that day, it took a scribe about 350 pages, if you will, to rewrite the whole of the Torah. 350 pages. But the law wasn't good enough. You know how I have taught you and shared with you what Jesus said? Jesus said to the, or to the, to the Pharisees, he said, you know what? You're teaching the traditions of man as if it were the doctrines of God or the oracles of God. Do you know what he means by that? Here's what he means by that. You're taking the 613 laws, which are the oracles of God. These are the laws of God. And then you're bringing man's tradition into it. And that's what the Jews have done. Religious Jews have done. They've brought man's ideas into it. They, they started off with the Midrash. And, and the Midrash is a book by the rabbinical teachers of their day as the rabbis would 
look at the Torah and they would give their exposition and they would write their exposition of the, of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That wasn't good enough. They ended up writing another book, another series of books called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah basically is the commentary on the Torah. So now you have an exposition, then you have a, a commentary on the Torah, and then they, they came back out and they, they wrote a Gemara, and, 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 and this is an exposition on the Mishnah. So basically, here you got one book that to, to kind of just expose and talk about, you know, the, you know, expound on the, the Torah. Then you have another book, you know, the, the, the Midra, or the Mishnah, I'm sorry, that gives now a commentary of how it is that you apply those things that you learned in the Midrash. You apply those things to your life according to how a rabbi says, well, this is what it means. And, and just one of those, you know, things where a rabbi says, okay, now here's the thing. The Bible says, God said, you know, there shall be no work on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. No work shall be done. So a rabbi, he stood on the steps of the temple and they said, well, how many, how many steps does it actually take to break a sweat on me? And so he takes off and he starts walking and he walks a certain distance. And when he felt a little perspiration on his forehead, he said, okay, this is how many steps. I can't remember how many steps it was, but this is the steps. This is how many steps you can actually take on the Sabbath without you actually breaking the law of the Torah. And so you can't go this many steps and try to turn around and go back. Well, so some of the religious Jews said, well, you have to be in your own dwelling place. And so here's what many of them would do before the Sabbath is that they would go and set up a little lean-to that distance from where they were going from. And then they claimed it as their own. That's a part of my home. And if they had to go like four of those steps, they'd have to set these little shanties up everywhere, you know, along the way. And they would walk this distance, go into their home, and then walk this distance, another long distance, not breaking the law. This is their home. After it was all done, they could tear it down and take it back to the house. But if you really wanted to get to somewhere and you didn't want to break the law, you had to actually set up your own little owned shanties along the way. You see how kind of silly it starts to become? You start adding in man's tradition into what the word of God says. They go, well, you can't do any of those things. You can't do that. But the, but the rabbi says it's how many ever steps? A thousand steps, you know, 1,018 steps. Okay, at 1,017 steps, I'm going to put a shanty. And then in another 1,017 steps, I'm going to stick another shanty. I'm technically not breaking the law. I'm living righteously before the Lord. Well, number one, God didn't say how many steps you were supposed to take in the first place. A rabbi did. He's the one that put the law in there. And so you have the Midrash, you got the Mishnah, you got the Gemara. Listen, by the time it was done, remember, 350 pages a scribe could put the Torah in. By the time that the Talmud was done, which is the collection of the Midrash, the Mishnah, the Gemara, here's the thing. The Talmud has 523 books in 22 volumes. Just to keep the law. And that's why God, that's why Jesus said, 
You teach the traditions of man as if they're the oracles of God. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you find life, but I'm telling you they speak of me. You've made them of no effect. This is what Paul's atmosphere was as he grew up. Lest you think that Paul is an anti-Semite, he doesn't like the Jews, in other words. He is one. He grew up one. He understood what they went through. He understood what they had to learn. And I know you might be sitting here going, you know, what? I don't really care about the Jews. I'm a Gentile. Why am I even talking about this? Well, it's in the Bible. I'd like for you to understand a little bit of what's going on in the Bible. I think it'll make a lot of sense to you as you go on. Here's the thing. If there was a, a, a time where back in the days of Christ that they had already technolo- technologically advanced to the stage of video recording, it, it, it would be an awesome thing to see Paul dialoguing, wouldn't it? With another Jew? With a rabbi? Seeing how he discussed it? But we don't need a video... Basically, what we have is Paul's account written right here in these three chapters here. What Paul is writing in Romans chapters 9 through 11 is a compilation of all of the discussions and all of the debates and all of the aggressive diatribes against him that he has attempted to live in his life for Christ since he came to know the truth and he was set free by Jesus Christ. And so that starts out chapter 10, verse 1. He says, listen... Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now that means a lot. Paul grew up not understanding the Christ. He had an understanding of what the Jews believed the Christ was going to be. Now they understood, here's what the Jew thought. The Messiah is going to come in. He's going to set up his kingdom on the earth. And he's going to overthrow all of the earthly governments and he's going to set his throne on the earth and he will, he will rule the earth. And whereas that's true, the timing of it was not true. Here's the thing. All of chapter 9, when we go back into chapter 9, we're not going to go back into chapter 9, but if you were to refer back to chapter 9, you'd see that Paul... Paul, he, he addresses the Jews and he says, now listen, um, uh, here's the one thing. You remember, uh, they're not all children because they call themselves the, the seed of Abraham. Remember we talked about that? Because some of them were from Ishmael, right? Even though they were from the seed of Abraham. And then Isaac, and then Jacob. And, and so here's the thing. Every one of these, Paul is laying out. And I want you to understand, why is Paul laying these things out? Paul's laying these things out because he's talking to the Jew. And he's saying, listen, you didn't have a problem when God chose Isaac from Abraham. Because you're through the lineage of Isaac. You didn't have a problem with that. And, and then when it went to Isaac and his wife Rebecca, and she had you know two you know babies in her womb, and there was there was uh, 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 Esau the firstborn, and there was Jacob the secondborn. You didn't have a problem that God chose Jacob because you find yourself in the line 
of Jacob. And I have a problem with God choosing Jacob. But now all of a sudden, God comes on and he says, I'm choosing to become a man. I'm going to send myself to the earth in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live amongst the people and I am going to die. And I am going to raise again from the dead three days later in order to allow the Gentiles access into heaven as well as the Jews. Not just the Jews. Salvation is now open to the Gentiles. Now, that right there are fighting words to a Jew, to a religious Jew. Salvation is not open to the Gentiles. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't have a problem with God's choice when it just included you, but when he chose to include the Gentiles, you threw a fit. You don't like that the Gentiles are going to be saved. And you don't like that they can be saved because it, and they don't have to keep the law that you keep in order to find their righteousness. And so here's the thing. They didn't like the choice. Paul didn't like the choice. Or Saul didn't like the choice when he was Saul. That's why he was coming against the church. They didn't like that God chose a plan that didn't abide to their 523, 22-volume set of the Talmud. It doesn't fit the way that we have figured it out that you're supposed to do it. Now, how does that apply to you and I? Here's the thing for you and I, and just a very quick application for you and I. Here's the thing. You might have this vision or this picture in your mind or in your heart of who God is supposed to be, how he's supposed to act, how he's supposed to choose, how he's supposed to react in your, in your life and respond in your life. And when he doesn't do it, you get miffed and you throw a hissy fit and you just, okay, I'm not going to go to church. As if doing that, you think that you're striking fear in heaven? I don't know. Have you ever thought that? Going, I mean, if you really just think about it, do you really think that God's going, no, Don's not going to go to church. Oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, do what he wants because I need him back in church. Or do you think that God's going, man, you're just hurting yourself, Don. You're trying to figure out how I'm supposed to do things. And when I don't do it the way that you want it to be done, you throw a fit and you act like a three-year-old. A lot of us do that, don't we? When God doesn't work the way that we want him to work, we throw a fit and we go, no, I'm just not going to serve him. All right, I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to open my Bible. I'm not going to even pray. I'm not going to do anything. Well, who's that hurting? Is it really hurting God? Guess what? God is God. He was God long before you. He'll be God long after you. Here's the thing. God is God. You, you don't manipulate God. You can manipulate mankind. You might be able to manipulate a friend. You might be able to manipulate a parent. You might be able to manipulate a child by emotional outbursts. But can I just tell you, God knows your heart when you throw that hissy fit. He knows what's going on inside your heart. And if you think you're going to get anywhere with God by throwing a fit, an emotional fit before God, you just are, are not smart. There I go again offending. I don't mean to, but it is the case. I, I'm saying this to me too. Listen, I do it too. 
And it just takes a little bit of time before you go, you know what, that was kind of stupid. God, you were God, and I wasn't. I'm sorry. What an idiot I was. God, take me back. I'm so sorry. I blew it. Forgive me. What a silly guy I was. I know. I already forgave you. Yeah, you were acting like a numbskull out there, but little knucklehead, but I love you. Yeah, I saw you shaking your fist at me. I heard those words that you said at me. It wasn't fun, was it? I never ceased to be God, just so you know. Pluto's still there. <laughs> Here's the thing. God always is God. No matter what you want to think that God is supposed to do in your life or how he's supposed to respond. And that's what Paul's talking to the Jews about. He's going, listen, as, as far as God, as long as God was choosing the way that you wanted him to choose, you were fine with God. But when all of a sudden he opened up the salvation, opened up salvation to the Gentiles, you flipped. And so did I, Paul said. And so here we have a religious Jewish expert dialoguing with religious Jewish experts and taking the Old Testament to do it. That's what he's doing. That's why he, he said there in Romans chapter 9, the very, very last, actually he used so many, he used Hosea, he used uh, Isaiah in Romans chapter 9. He's going, this is what they were talking about. Our prophets, our books, the Old Testament. This is what, this is what they were talking about. Verse 25, he, he says to Hosea of chapter 9, I will call them my people who are not my people. Paul's saying to the, to the religious Jew, who do you think he's talking about? Who do you think Hosea is talking about? I will call them my people who are not my people. Paul's going, it's the Gentiles. That's who he's talking about. And I'm going to call her, God says, beloved who was not beloved. The Gentiles weren't beloved. But now they are. I will. It's a time forward. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. That there they will be called sons of the living God. So all of a sudden you look at it and Paul's going, do you see what Hosea is saying? He's saying that the Gentiles who were not God's people, God is saying one day they will be called the sons of the living God. I was a Jew just like you, Paul would say, and it stumped me. I had problems with a lot of these scriptures because I could never reconcile them. I couldn't make that passage make me feel good as a Jew. I couldn't do it. It wouldn't work. Until I met Christ. And then it all made sense. And that's why I will do everything I can do I will live my life. I will sacrifice my life to get you to see what it is that I see. Look what he says in Romans chapter 10. He says, My, my heart and desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, are being, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, listen, for Christ, he's talking to the religious Jew. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Before you go into verse 5, look at, here's what Paul's saying. These guys, I know who you are. 
I know who you are, religious Jews. I was one of them. Remember, I was one of the highest ranking Pharisees. I went through all the schools that you went through and even better schools that you did. I mentored under the, a guy that probably was better than any of you guys that were mentored under. I, I've been there. I know where you're coming from. I lived where you are. But even in my high position, I struggled with many passages in the Old Testament because they just didn't fit the Talmud. They didn't fit what we'd always been taught. And only until I found Jesus, or better, he found me, because he knocked me off my high horse on the way to Damascus as I was on my way to kill a bunch of Christians. More zealous than you. Here's the thing. When he knocked me off my high horse, he opened my eyes and he showed me what I had never seen before. And what I'm trying to say to you. Here's the thing. I really don't mean to bring an ugly movie. It's not really, an, I guess it is an ugly movie, but it's, it's a movie nonetheless. Done back in 1973, Chuck Heston, Charlton Heston. Have you guys ever seen the movie Soylent Green? One, two, three, four. You all are sick people. I'm just joking. I saw it too. Soylent Green, I can tell you this story because it's a 1973 movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you the plot anyways. Here's the thing. If you haven't seen it now, by now, it serves you right. Basically, Done back in 1973, it looks towards in the future to 2022. That's seven years away from now, by the way. And basically, it's, it's really a Greenpeace kind of a, commer- or kind of a movie where basically you know, we have destroyed our atmosphere, our, our ozone and what have you, and all of a sudden it's become very, very hot on the planet Earth. There's 40 million people, not you know, 8 million, but 40 million people in New York City. They don't let people go out or in. Uh, food is not growing on the earth anymore. There's no vegetables. There's no, you know, meat. There's no anything like that except for very select places. And there's a case, a, 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 a case system where there's very, very, very wealthy people and then everybody else is poor. And so what ends, what ends up happening is that, is that uh, um, we've got, you know, two different sets of people, you know, the rich they pay $150 for a little bowl of strawberries, you know. Um, but there's no other vegetables on the earth, or fruits and so fruits on the earth, you know. There's none of these things that are on the earth. And here's the thing. All of these people are eating some, some little wafers from an international corporation called the Soylent Corporation. They had Soylent Red and Soylent Yellow and, and they, they basically were taking and they were saying, these are vegetable supplements and so on and so forth. And these are the things that you eat. You eat these things and you'll sustain life. And then they came out with a more nutritious Soylent Green. That's what the movie was about. And I'm just to give you an ugly scene of what it is, basically Charlton Heston's a detective. He finds out, he breaks in, he, he breaks the case basically at the end of the movie. He basically finds out Soylent Green is people. It's all the people that... that that the world has become overpopulized. This company is actually taking these people and process, killing them, processing them, and then feeding it back to the cross-causing worldwide cannibalism. But it's a 
high, high, high secret. But Charlton Heston found out the truth. And you're going, where and why are we even talking about this? It's going to make sense right now. Because it's Charlton Heston towards the end of the movie. He finds out what it is. He goes, Soylent Green is people. It's people. We wouldn't eat it. Ugh. You know, he, he like almost pukes because he's been eating it. And he starts to go out. He tries to tell everybody, Soylent Green is people. Don't eat Soylent Green. Don't eat Soylent Green. It's people. It's people. Now, can I just ask you something? If that really happened in real life and you found out that it was people being eaten, would you want to tell everybody about it? Would you want to tell your family members, hey, don't eat soil and green because you're eating, you know, dead people. Yuck. We're eating people. And as much as that is a gross picture, it really actually is a very fitting example of heaven and hell. Hell is soil and green, guys. Hell is... is, is, is is a decision that never, ever, ever can be reversed. And so our last breath upon the face of this earth (coughs) should be telling our loved ones, telling the people who will listen, 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 listen. Hell is real. Christ is real. He wants to give you life. Soylent green is people. You don't have to say that in your evangelism. But here's the thing. You tell your loved ones because it is incredibly important. That's what Paul's doing. He's going, guys, I know your zeal, but my zeal is this. I've seen it from both sides. And I'm trying to tell you that what we were fed was wrong. It was wrong. This is what the Word of God said. This is what it meant. This is what we struggled with and what we stumbled on. This is what it means. This is how it fits. This is why it fits. It only fits for Christ. If you just take off this this programmed mind that you have and you look at it with an open heart, with an open mind, you'll see. And he says, listen, the Jews, they have zeal, man, Paul saying, hey, they have zeal. Trust me, every town I go in, they got a little posse that follows me around. Sometimes I get beat up. One time I got stoned. Actually, I've gotten stoned a couple of times. Not stoned as in what we wouldn't understand as stoned. But I've been stoned by the Jews because they didn't like what I was saying. They wouldn't open their heart. But you know what? Can I just tell you something about you? My heart and my desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. And if it costs me my life, okay. It's not going to shut me up. I'm going to continue to tell people about Christ until I can't breathe anymore. That's the drive that Paul had behind him. That's why he's saying the things that he's saying here. He's going, hey, You have a zeal, as I did. But you want to talk about offending him? He says, 
I bear the Jews witness that they may have that they have a zeal for God. Yes, they have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge. They don't realize the truth. They don't realize the truth. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Here's what Paul's saying. You wrote 500, we wrote 523 books, 22 volumes, to try to tell man how to live before God when God did it in 350 pages. We had to correct or explain what meant. We had to clear up some things that God kind of left out in the, you know, in the dark. He left in the shadows. We had to help him out. What are you doing when you do that? You become God. Do you not? When you sit here and you have to say, and listen, if you go to a church that says, listen, read your Bible, but also take this book with you because this book will help you to understand what the Bible says. You know what? I don't care what church it is. Like I said it last week, I'll say it again. If it's a Calvary Chapel that does that, says, listen, I wrote this commentary on all of the Bible. Listen, in order for you to really understand what the Bible says, it doesn't mean the commentaries are bad. It just means that if a pastor stands up and says, I've got, here's what it is. I want to give you a Bible, but I want to give you my commentary because you can't really understand the Bible unless you understand my commentary. You go, who would ever say that? There's a lot of cults out there that do exactly that very same thing. You ever heard of the Book of Mormon? You ever hear of the New World Translations from the Jehovah's Witnesses? You ever hear of Ellen G. White from the Seventh-day Adventists? You've got to read their book in order to understand what the Bible says. When someone tells you that, just, get it. just go. Just leave. You don't need somebody else to tell you what the Word of God says. Read it yourself. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I can't go away, I won't send the Comforter to you. What's the Comforter going to do? He's going to be with you. He's going to speak of me. He's going to reveal what my Word says to you. He's going to glorify my Father in Heaven. He's going to reveal to you the deep things of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, if we sit here and go, yeah, but the Holy Spirit kind of needs some help. You need to be slapped. You just do. I'm sorry. Because you know what? The Holy God doesn't need our help. God's done a perfectly good job without any of us. In fact, that's what Paul said back in chapter 9. He's going, you liked all of his choices when it included only you. But when he included somebody that you didn't like, you threw a fit. And you are saying, no way. I don't want the Gentiles to come into heaven because it's only reserved for us. And so therefore, I'm not going to believe that. And so Paul goes, what are you saying? Who are you, oh man, to say to God what he can do and what he can't do? Shall the clay bark at the potter and say, why have you made me thus? That's what Paul was saying. (coughs) He's going... You're just a piece of clay. Why are you dictating to the potter what it is that he's supposed to do? Because it fits in my brain this way. Well, your brain's wrong then. The way you have it figured is wrong. Guess what? God is always right. God is always right. 
They being ignorant of God's righteousness, I'm not going to get through this. I'm only going to get through these first four verses because I'm not going to go fast. We're going to finish right here. They being ignorant, the Jews being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. What's the difference? We don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it to the way that we feel that it should be done. Because you've done that, you have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God, Christ, God in human flesh. God became a man in flesh to live among us. Is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We're going to get in and talk about the righteousness next week, but we're also going to talk about salvation next week. We're going to talk about faith next week. We're going to talk about things that that the Jews stumbled over. And we're also going to talk about things that we stumble over. Now, you might sit here and go, you know, a lot of this, okay, it was kind of like an educational lesson. That's good. That's good. I want you to understand the conflict that we have as Christians as we speak with Jews. I want you to understand the conflict if you even don't speak to Jews, what it is that they're up against. This is the tradition that they grew up with. I'm going to say most of us in this room grew up with traditions. And you live according to those traditions because that's the way it always has been. And, and, and so you never challenge the, the, the tradition. You never ask why. You never ask the questions, who started this in the first place? You just do it because that's what you've always done. There's a lot of people that will live their lives that way and they never ask the question. That's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to open your eyes. He's trying to open my eyes. Not just to the Jews. He's trying to open our eyes. That's what I'm trying to do to you today. Open your eyes. Look at your traditions in your life. Did your parents... Well, this is what my parents taught me. Can I just tell you something? Maybe your parents didn't read the Bible. Maybe they didn't know the Bible. Maybe they understood the Bible based upon a traditional way that they had grown up with it well, yeah, but there's millions of people that believe the way that my parents believe. And that, that's the way I believe. There was a song that Larnell Harris did, and I, I like Larnell Harris. I actually got an email from his manager this last week saying, hey, he's available, you know. But Larnell Harris uh, uh, sang a song 20 years ago. I don't know that he wrote it, but he sang it. It's a pretty sounding song stupidest song I've ever heard in my life. His reasoning for being a Christian in the song, not Larnell Harris. I don't mean to trash down on Larnell Harris. He's just singing the song. I I tend to believe if you're going to record a song, that that has to be a part of your belief if you're recording it, you know, I would think, you know. But his song, you know, basically his message in his song was, I'm a Christian and I know it's right because how can so many millions be wrong? I mean, that's just not biblical. That, that's just anti-biblical. That's anti-Christ. Jesus said, 
Narrow is the gate that leads to heaven, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are who go that way. Picture a funnel, if you will. The wide end of the funnel. That's how the whole world is going. I'm going to go this way because it's the easiest way. It's the way everybody else is going. But the thing is, is that once you, once you get into this funnel and you start walking down this road, by the time that you die, here's the thing. You find that all of a sudden what you thought was your freedom, I'm just expressing my freedom, man. I'm expressing my liberty. I'm expressing who it is that I am because I'm free to do that. Yes, you are. The thing is, is that you have consequences for the freedoms that you're exercising there are consequences i have a a, a cousin who exercised you know exercises freedom to be a gay man for a while and then came back to christ later on and he suffered the consequences of his freedom to be a gay man and he contracted hiv and then aids and ended up dying of aids he he exercised his freedom the thing is is that it cost him his life I'm sorry if that offended anybody, but here's the thing. That's what happened. There are consequences to our actions. There's consequences to the way that we live our life. So you can exercise your freedom. I'm just going to be me. I always crack up at people going, I just want to be me. But then you look like everybody else you hang out with. (laughs) You know, the golf look, you know, the golf look. I'm just being, I'm just being, you know, individual. No, you're not. You're being what those people are. The people you hang out with. That's what you are. You wear the gray ashen makeup and dark circles under your eyes and you look like what I'd see in a haunted house. I don't know. But you're not being an individual. You're just being a set with these guys over here. What really is an individual? Here's the thing. When you walk through that funnel and you think, hey, I'm just living free. I'm doing whatever it is. I have a zeal to live my life to the fullest and do everything I want to do whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. And I think that God loves all of us and, and we can have free love and we can, you know, and we can do this and we can do that. We can take as many drugs as we want and we can, we can sleep with whoever we want and we can just all have a good time. And so here's the thing. You can do that. You have freedom to do that. But the problem is, is that there's a consequence at the end of the day. At the end of your life, there's consequence. It's the consequence. That that just is a a cold brick wall that you're going to hit. The thing is, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are who go that way. But narrow is the way that leads to life. In fact, narrow so much so that only one pair of shoulders can get through that doorway at a time. Yours, mine. You can't go in together. Each person has to make his own decision to go to Christ. But what you find out, when you go through that, the world goes through that large funnel, man, we got freedom, we got freedom, but the further they go in, the more confined they get, the more confined they get, the more confined they get to the point where they're going into that narrow part where they get spit out one at a time. And where do they go? They go to hell. Whereas when we choose Christ as a Christian, we go through that narrow end of the, that, that one person, that one individual door that we have to go through who is Christ. And we go through that and we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ. Once we get through that door, all of a sudden it's one of the weirdest funnels you've ever seen in your life because it has just this little hole 
little doorway that you can just barely fit. It perfectly fits for you. Nobody else can fit either side of you, up or down, behind you, whatever. You can just go through that door. And as soon as you go through that funnel, that narrow end of the funnel, all of a sudden, it's a wide open expanse. And you have freedom in Christ. That's what Paul's trying to get to. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. That's what I'm trying to understand. Question your traditions. Question your traditions. I have to go and 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 you know confess to a father. Jesus says, "Don't call any man a father." Okay, that just really messes up my tradition because that's what we've always done. I got to go to him. I've got to go to. I've got to go to through saints. I've got to pray to saints. I've got to pray to to Mary. see that in scripture I, I, what I do read is that Jesus the Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus why don't you go to Jesus I had the dialogue with a Catholic one time fun banter I go to I go to Mary I talk to Mary why, talk, why, don't, why do you talk to Mary why not just talk to Jesus she cracked me up she goes because if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy <laughs> I don't really care if Mary's happy. I just care if Jesus is happy. Is that offensive to Mary? I don't know. Jesus said he was there teaching one time and Mary, Mother Mary, came to him speaking words of wisdom. <laughs> she came and she was standing outside the door and the people came into Jesus and says, hey Jesus, uh, hey, your mom's here. Your brother's Sister, they're, they're all outside. They're hanging outside. Hey, uh, you need to go out there. And Jesus says, who are my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? But it's you guys. You are my mother, my brothers and sisters. You are my family. Was that a diss on his mom? It wasn't a disrespect. It was setting this, this, this story straight. Mary didn't have authority over Christ Christ has authority over all. But because people have grown up with this idea that I've got to go through Mary, I've got to pray to Mary, or I've got to pray through a saint, or I've got to go and confess to a father, even though the Bible says, I, don't call any man on earth your father. And that's what it means. Don't call a priest your father. And yet you do. you got problems. Ask the questions, why am I doing that? When the Bible says I'm not supposed to, well, that's because the Catholic Church says I was supposed to. Well, then go and become a Jew because there's 523 books that you have to memorize in order to find righteousness with God, which, and by the way, you'll never find righteousness. You'll never find righteousness in those 523 books. There's only one way to find righteousness and it's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Guys, I've got to end, but that's exactly what Paul's trying to get to. Don't make following Christ harder than what it has to be. It's through Christ that we have freedom. It's through Christ that we have righteousness. It's through Christ that we can be pleasing before the eyes of the Lord in our life. Does it mean you are going to live perfectly? No. Does it mean that we can live any old way we want? We can just go out and sin any old way we want? No, it doesn't give us the freedom or the license to just go out and sin. If I love someone, I'm going to live for them. I'm going to live to please them. I don't do things to my wife because I know she'll forgive me. 
I don't cheat on my wife because, hey, you know, she'll forgive me. I'd come, you know, I'd, you wouldn't see me probably. I'd be in Sarasota Bay somewhere cut up or something. I don't know. That's what scares me the most. No, not really. Here's the thing. My wife, no, I would never do that. Why? Because it's my wife. Why would I do something to hurt her? Why would I do that? Well, you can, you can, you can go and, and use money the way you're not supposed to and just keep it away from your wife. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Just because I know that she'd forgive me if I did that? Why would I do that to my wife? I love her. She's my soulmate. She's my partner. Why would I do that? I love her. Just because I can get away with something doesn't mean that I do it. Same thing with our walks with the Lord, guys. We don't do things because God will forgive us. We just live for Christ, man. And that's where we find our righteousness. It's not through living in the law. It's through Jesus Christ, living for him in a relationship on a day-by-day basis. Father, Lord, there's this is an important passage, I know, Lord. I pray that there is justice being done to it. I pray, God, that some in this room are understanding what's going on. I, I pray everybody is. I pray we understand why we're going through this exercise right now. It's you put it in the Word for us to know, to understand the, the mentality that is out there. And as we look at a, at a people group, the Jews, we can also look at ourselves and we can begin to look at ourselves and say, hey, do I have the same attributes that Paul is coming down on with the Jews? Do I place up certain righteous things that I have to do in order to please God or not please God? Or do I just find my righteousness in Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. It's not by a certain standard, certain rules and regulations, but it's it's in a life that is in a relationship with you, not wanting to injure you, not wanting to hurt you, not wanting to do things because we know that you'll forgive us for, but just to live for you freely. And Lord, then we can smile, we can live with a spring in our step and a sparkle in our eye because Lord we know that we're walking in unison with you opening up your word and reading it and allowing you to shower us and flood us with your truth not because we had to pick up another book but because we have your book in our hands Holy Spirit we pray that you would speak to our lives as we pick up your word Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in the way everlasting from this day forward. Help us to know what is right, what is wrong. Help us to discern between good and evil. Help us to discern when to help and when to to walk away. Help us to know how to live our lives, Lord, to the fullest that you have laid out for us. Most of all, Lord, help us to live our life pleasing in your sight. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the truth that it just explodes with. We thank you, God, for something that we can latch on to, 
that is forever binding and strong and will stand all tests of time and attacks from the enemy, your word will stand true and firm and always will be righteous. Thank you, Lord, that we have this book in our hands that we can live our life by. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.